He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tēnā koutou katoa. welcome to Insight, I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, are Chinese students who studied here crucial to our future relations with Beijing? Last year, there were 35,000 Chinese nationals studying in our schools and tertiary institutions, spending close to $2 billion on tuition fees and living costs. That's a lot of money, but schools and tertiary institutions insist it's just the beginning of the benefits New Zealand reaps from its export education industry. They say there's more to come when New Zealand's diaspora of former foreign students get a foothold in business, finance and government. John Gerritsen travelled to China to explore if there are any signs of increasing connections. The Shanghai metro carries 10 million people a day. That's more than double the population of New Zealand and a reminder of the sheer scale of things in China. This country's a big deal for New Zealand. It's our biggest trading partner, buying $17 billion of products, including kiwifruit, meat and milk, last year. That figure includes education, and in the past 10 years alone, nearly 80,000 Chinese students have studied in New Zealand, many of them paying tens of thousands of dollars a year to study from high school right through to university. But what happens when they go home, as most do? Does New Zealand reap a second wave of benefits from its diaspora of Chinese alumni, or does their relationship with our country come to an end? To find out, I'm on my way to the upmarket area of Jintandi, where the University of Otago is hosting an alumni event at New Zealand Central, the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise Office in Shanghai. We're now at Shintendi. Doors will open on the right. Uh, I study MBA while I was in Otago, yes. And I study accounting there. I finished uh, my degree in 2010, and my major is uh, computer science. Yeah. So there's about 60 alumni of Otago University at this event, and I'm really interested in talking to some of these people about what sort of connection they still have with New Zealand. Because whenever I talk to university staff about uh, the benefits of international education, they always hark back to something called the Colombo Plan, and that was an aid program that brought hundreds, actually thousands of young people from Southeast Asia to, to study in New Zealand. And they have, many of them, gone on to occupy positions of influence in their home countries. But the difference there is those people came to New Zealand as part of an aid program, whereas the Chinese students, or former students that I'm about to talk to, came as full-fee-paying students. So have they got the same level of goodwill, the same sort of involvement with New Zealand that some of the former Colombo Plan students have? As it turns out, these students have great affection for New Zealand. Studying in another country was a critical life experience and it left a lasting impression. Alex Gow majored in statistics and has fond memories of student life in Dunedin. The party, uh, the pub, the people, my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and, uh, and really, and really, let, let's be serious, it's the education quality. His friend, Jean Benguo, did a PhD in information science. You know, the most important thing is I finished my PhD there, so wow. That's, uh, I think, uh, one of the highest uh, achievements of my life. But despite their fondness for New Zealand, most of these alumni have little ongoing contact, perhaps because the only Kiwi organisation trying to keep in touch is their former university. 
Some still communicate with the academics who supervise their studies, and there are just a few who have business connections. Nick Wong graduated from Massey University in Wellington with a business degree in 2007. I used to work for ANZ Bank in Wellington. Now I work for myself because I'm running a small company with a couple of friends. So we're doing like finance products. Mainly we work closely with like Chinese bank. I'm thinking doing some business with my previous boss who is in New Zealand. <laughs> so we contact to each other every single day. Eugene Zhao went to Otago Boys High School and then got a Bachelor of Social Work from the University of Otago. Now his business is helping other Chinese have a similar experience. I'm doing the education agency between Christchurch and the southwest of China, so I'm promoting uh, New Zealand study tours, high school, primary school, and the customised New Zealand vibrant tour. How many um, people do you help bring to New Zealand every year? Um, generally around 20 to 30. Depends what's the group and what's the category they want to go to. Nick Wong and Eugene Zhao are running their own small businesses. But surely there should be a few more people here with stronger business ties to New Zealand, even if this is an alumni party, not a business event. And what about New Zealand companies that trade with China? Does the diaspora of Chinese students help them get a foothold in the world's biggest market? I'm in Pudong, Shanghai's financial district, surrounded by futuristic skyscrapers and international brands. Behind me there's a Starbucks, there's a McDonald's just nearby, the Dairy Queen, but I can't see any evidence of New Zealand. I'm going to go and have a little look around and see what I can find. As it turned out, the only New Zealand connection I found among the luxury clothing brands in Pudong's malls was a New Zealand-style short black at a fuel espresso bar. Great. It's great. Well, I didn't find much evidence of New Zealand in Pudong, so now I'm heading back to Jintandi to talk to some people who are directly involved with New Zealand business ventures here in China. Here we stand on a street where it is uh, scanning QR codes, it's e-commerce, it's last mile delivery, and all of this is less than a few years old, so it's just a really dynamic, fast-changing market. That's Damon Paling, the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise Trade Commissioner to Shanghai, talking about the rapid development of the Chinese economy. In the New Zealand consulate, out of the heat and humidity of the Shanghai summer, he says that New Zealand companies have a lot more of a presence here than my stroll in Pudong indicated. Certainly in the dairy sector, brands such as Anchor have cut through, A2 have cut through. In horticulture, Zespri, and their brand is probably more recognised than Dole or Sunkist in that particular space. And then, of course, category like Manuka Honey, brands like Convita. So these would be the brand names which, let's say, target Chinese consumers. You'd expect them to be able to note down if you were to ask them about all good things New Zealand. But he says New Zealand's clean, green image is not as unique for Chinese consumers as it once was. And to be successful, New Zealand companies need Chinese staff. Did they study in New Zealand? Perhaps yes, perhaps no. It's very much case by case. Certainly those employees are very, let's say, comfortable working cross-culturally. They enjoy that challenge. For those that have studied in New Zealand, I think there's no doubt there's a small piece of New Zealand in their heart and they may have family, friends living in New Zealand and a better sense as to how to connect New Zealand produce with modern Chinese families. 
Damon Paling says New Zealand-educated Chinese are increasingly getting jobs with New Zealand firms, and for many, it's a smart career move. Maybe a young Chinese person has studied in New Zealand, moved back to mainland China, perhaps worked for a large multinational. They were a very small cog in a, in a big machine. They then looked to transition and on board with a New Zealand business where they could come in and be the general manager, for example, of the New Zealand business and have a very, very different experience and they're able to see the fruits of their labour far more quickly and, of course, maintain those connections that they have with New Zealand at the same time. New Zealand's not the only country with companies jostling for position in China and other countries have much larger cohorts of Chinese students to draw on. Australia, for example, has about 125,000 Chinese students just in its universities. And in Canada, about 77,000 Chinese citizens have study visas. Plainly, New Zealand can't afford to squander its relatively small pool of Chinese graduates. Hi, I'm John Gerritsen. I'm here to see David Boyle. Uh, okay. A short walk from the New Zealand consulate in Shanghai is Primary Collaboration New Zealand, a company set up as a beachhead in China for a variety of primary produce outfits. The chief executive is David Boyle, and he says language and culture are the first barriers to New Zealand companies in China. Understanding you know, the taste profiles of which apples people will buy, which beef people will buy, which wines they prefer, and so on, so on, so on. Those things are quite deeply embedded into, into Chinese cultural mores. And I think that what New Zealand companies in the first place struggle with when they first come here is actually truly understanding the consumer. If you don't understand the consumer, then how do you know what to sell them? David Boyle says one of the best ways to understand the market is to employ Chinese market managers. And if they have a New Zealand education, that's even better. There's definitely an advantage in our organisation having people who are educated in New Zealand working in this nexus between New Zealand and China, helping New Zealand companies understand Chinese consumers. Yeah, I think it's a big benefit. David Boyle says alumni networks are one of the places to start looking for such people. There's already quite a, a rich reservoir of New Zealand-educated Chinese nationals who are here working in all kinds of different businesses. We've just got to go and find them. So we need to have ways of connecting those Chinese nationals back to their res- you know, respective you know, alumni universities in New Zealand. That's the place to go looking. But he says that's not straightforward. Often the best employees have been working for a Chinese company in the target sector, be it meat or seafood or wine, for several years. And by then, many will have lost touch with New Zealand, meaning China gets the benefit of a Western-educated employee and New Zealand misses an opportunity. That's difficult because if it's alumni for alumni's sake, then the inclination to stay involved is, is more tenuous. Whereas... If you were giving alumni a reason to be involved because there's a possibility it could further their future career, then of course it gets more interesting. I think that what we could both, from a commercial and also a university perspective or standpoint, what we could be doing a better job of is giving our Chinese nationals educated New Zealand, getting them involved in networks. I'm John Gerritsen, and you're listening to an Insight program about the impact of New Zealand-educated Chinese on business links between the two countries. So I started my Form 5 in 2007, three years, in McLean's College in Auckland. And then I went to uh, Auckland Uni for my bachelor degrees. So I studied in uh, Bachelor of Art and then Bachelor of Commerce. 
One of the New Zealand-educated Chinese working out of the PCNZ office in Shanghai is Ginny Zhu. After graduation, she returned to China and ran her own seafood trading company for several years before having her daughter. Now she works for King Salmon, which entered the Chinese market two years ago. When I started, about half percent of the business belongs to China markets. But now, it's the、uh, second year, and now we are about to achieve three percent of the,、uh, the total business turnover. So it's grown rapidly, and will grow a lot more. Yes, I believe so. So now, at the moment, I'm making the three years plan just there. So、uh, I'm expecting a maybe two hundred to three hundred percent growth in the next three years. Jenny Zhu believes the combination of a New Zealand education and her Chinese background are a big advantage for her and for her employers, especially as the Chinese seafood industry is very traditional, and most of the Chinese working in it are not well educated. They don't see the need for a university degree to do their job. Claire Tan studied at Manukau Institute of Technology from 2002 to 2006 and worked in New Zealand in the food and beverage industry. Five years ago, she started working for Silver Fern Farms in China. Western and Eastern countries, they are very, very different, and people's mindset are quite different. So, for my job, a big part is to find a balance of understanding both culture. So, my role is that because my experience in New Zealand, so I understand why we are making the decision, and for Chinese side, and I can also see whether this is going to work or not. If not, how we're going to find a a balanced way to approach. To the market. The companies that are part of PCNZ are still developing their business in China, but a company with a relatively big presence here is Zespri. We currently sell around seven hundred million dollars a year to China, to mainland China, if we include the whole Greater China region, including Taiwan and, and Hong Kong. For us, it's just on a billion dollars this year. Ivan Kinsella has lived in China on and off for forty-two years and is now the head of corporate affairs for Zespri in China. He says every New Zealand company working here, including Zespri, has New Zealand-educated Chinese staff, and it's worth it. One is just the understanding of New Zealand itself, which is if you're dealing with New Zealand, we like us, we're a, very heavily identified with New Zealand,、um, so that's that's a big advantage. But I think on the other side, students who have studied in New Zealand have a a commitment or a, an affection for New Zealand, which. Means that they they go the extra mile. They really、uh, enjoy their time in New Zealand and really want New Zealand to get ahead. So from that point of view, it's really it's great as well. But he says finding the right staff would be a lot easier if universities and polytechnics work together to keep track of their Chinese alumni, perhaps with help from government and business. If, for example, I were to say I'm really looking for some young graduates with work experience in New Zealand to join the team here, I wouldn't really know where to go for that. I'd use the networks that I do have, and I'm sure we'd find something. But、um, it's not not as straightforward as going to an organisation saying we're really looking for someone in this area. New Zealand clearly continues to reap benefits from its foreign students years after they've finished their studies. So keeping the flow of students coming here is important, and New Zealand's Chinese graduates have a role there too. I'm on the high-speed train, travelling at about 320 kilometres an hour from Shanghai to Beijing, where I'm going to meet some more alumni from New Zealand universities and talk to New Zealand's ambassador to China, Claire Fernley. Right, I'm at the、uh, New Zealand embassy here in Beijing, and there's another alumni event、uh, happening here tonight for Otago University. 
I'm going to be talking to some former students here again, but I think one of the things I want to ask them is whether they'd send their children to New Zealand for education. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, I will. And uh, I think the New Zealanders have a very good environment for the, for the children. Yep, sure. I have children now, and I'm considering we'll send her to New Zealand for study, maybe from primary school. These former students would happily send their own children to New Zealand to study. That's a vote of confidence given New Zealand is not the first choice education destination for most Chinese. Countries like England and the United States are usually top of the list. Importantly, these alumni feel they got value for money from their own education in New Zealand. I think it's very worth it because it helped me a lot for the independence and also education will help me a lot of ways, I think. It's very worth it and it's kind of like a global how to say global view, or you can learn more about across culture. Each year we send about 30,000 students, 30,000 students study overseas, and even more depending on each year. GGL is the biggest agency in China sending students to the whole world. Kevin Zhong is a director and the executive vice president of JJL, one of the biggest education agents in China. He admits New Zealand's not top of the list for many Chinese families, but for others, New Zealand's small size and reputation for safety is a winner. It has a clean environment, the standard of education is very good, and the New Zealand people are kind. He's not sure why the number of new study visas has dropped in the past year, but he thinks the future is positive. Probably from some aspect, from the economy things or relationship between the two nations, or probably not cheaper than people imagine, or something like that. But I do believe New Zealand education is in a good place to study, and I think that people will select New Zealand as their final destination. I think New Zealand will be much, much more popular than before, I think, in the future. You said that you've done a BSc, and you are now working in hospitals. Yes, I'm working in a private hospital. Helen Nicholson is the University of Otago's Deputy Vice-Chancellor International. She says it's important the university keeps in touch with its foreign alumni through events like this one in Beijing. We want to know how well they're getting on. We want to know what we should be doing differently in terms of the programmes we deliver. We obviously want them to um, think highly of us, to talk highly of us, because our alumni are our greatest ambassadors for the university. Obviously, we, we would like them to send us their children or to talk about Otago as a university and what it's meant to them and how it might help other people that they know. Helen Nicholson says many of the university's current foreign students are the children and grandchildren of people who studied there in the 1950s, 60s and 70s through the Colombo Plan, the aid program that came up earlier in this insight. The biggest cohort of alumni we have is in Malaysia as a result of the Colombo Plan and a significant number of those people who came over on the Colombo Plan send us their daughters and sons and increasingly now their grandchildren. Clearly, the effort of keeping in touch with former students does pay off for the university. But Helen Nicholson says the influence and goodwill of the university's Chinese students is not yet at the level of its Colombo Plan Malaysian alumni. In Malaysia, people who came over in the 60s went back with an education and those people have gone on to become significant people in their community, whether in business or in government, etc., 
that's perhaps not quite the same yet for our Chinese alumni. There are relatively young alumni that are going back. Even so, the university's Chinese alumni are staying in touch. It says 797 of them live in mainland China, and it has contact details for 87% of them. Just outside an office block, a little north of、uh, the centre of Beijing, I'm here to talk to Dr. Huang Ning. He is a PhD graduate from the University of Auckland, and he runs a business here specialising in green or sustainable design for buildings. Huang Ning decided to study at the University of Auckland after talking with a friend who'd immigrated to New Zealand. That was more than ten years ago. He still has ties with the academics who supervised his PhD, and he organises Auckland University's Beijing alumni. There are, you know, around two hundred active members in our club.、Uh, perhaps around twenty percent working for some New Zealand company in Beijing. Most are working in Beijing, perhaps for some Chinese company. And it's not all about business. Some alumni were so impressed by the Kiwi culture of volunteering to help others that they're doing the same in Beijing. Some guys influence the Chinese people to know New Zealand. There is a, a small group in our alumni club. They just do the volunteering work every two weeks. So they go to the hospital. They go to the elder people community to do help them. You know, on behalf of the the, the Kiwi culture, perhaps. In China, you just look after yourself. So we want to change change the ideas. We just import the ideas from New Zealand here. Thousands of Chinese families are paying millions of dollars a year for a New Zealand education, and Dr. Huang says it's a win-win situation for both countries. New Zealand gets income, and Chinese families get a high-quality education that's cheap compared to other English-speaking countries. New Zealand universities charge about twenty-seven thousand dollars a year for a BA. In Canada, it's more like thirty-one thousand dollars. I think we can get the similar education, like what in the UK or Australia, but it's cheap. The tuition is cheap, so I think double win, you know, for two countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And another, you know, due to the education is changing, perhaps will make the the closer relationship or connection between two countries. You know, how the students is a kind of ambassador of a country. <laughs> Security guards and police are everywhere in Shanghai and Beijing, and there are X-ray machines and metal detectors at most metro stations. This is a country where the one-party state is very much in control. So, what's New Zealand's influence with the Chinese government? I'm told that elite Chinese universities are the usual road to power in the Chinese Communist Party, and it's extremely unlikely New Zealand will find many alumni in senior government and political roles. But our ambassador to China, Claire Fernley, can name some relatively big hitters who studied in New Zealand several decades ago. Wu Hongbo, who retired recently as the、uh, deputy to the UN Secretary General, and he's been very happy to front foot it actually in talking publicly about the great experience he had as a student in New Zealand. Just last month, I was down in Hainan Province. And、um, met up with、uh, a former student who'd studied in New Zealand. I think probably would have been given his age. I think in the 1990s, he's now the head of all foreign affairs for the province, and so that immediately established a rapport and you know a very、uh, easy way of interacting in that really important area for New Zealand. Claire Fernley says there are also exchange programs that build Chinese bureaucrats' understanding of New Zealand.
MPI has a program that brings officials active in the food safety area down to New Zealand to study for three, four months and then to do an internship within the New Zealand government system. They then come back to their government roles here in Beijing or elsewhere in China. I mean, as you can imagine, food, food safety, given our export profile with China, is a really crucial area for us to, to understand China well and for China to understand New Zealand. So those sorts of targeted education support programs are just ideal for actually building the, the framework that supports our trade. Claire Fernley says the flow of Chinese students to New Zealand is now so great it's sure to pay dividends in the future. I'm confident that with the numbers we've been seeing in the last four, five, six years of students going to New Zealand, we will see a proportion of them going into really significant jobs back here uh, in China, whether it's on the political side or the private sector or academic and research. That can only be good for the relationship. That sounds like a reasonable expectation. But other countries have a lot more Chinese students than New Zealand and they too will be hoping for business and political benefits down the line. Stephen Jacoby from the New Zealand China Council says there's no doubt many New Zealand educated Chinese are well disposed towards this country. But he says there's a real risk many will lose contact with New Zealand and this country needs to do more to make the most of their goodwill. What I find is when I meet people in China who have lived in New Zealand or studied in New Zealand, there is quite a degree of affection. There is quite a degree of interest, and I think that uh, that could be capitalised on, but it's probably going to take a lot of thinking, a lot of effort, a lot of funding, and some more research to be able to understand it in greater detail. Stephen Jacoby says it's not clear who should be doing that work, but someone somewhere really does need to take it on. I think that's probably a part of the government's plan to build the relationship with China into the future. It's, it's the education establishments who maybe need to be thinking about that long term. Um, certainly the New Zealand China Council is not funded or mandated to take on a role like that, but it is a role that needs to be done. He says New Zealand's diaspora of Chinese students could help move the relationship between the two nations into a new phase beyond the current focus on trade. What we want with China is a much more broadly based relationship. Uh, that's good only uh, for a number of reasons, really, but not only for the obvious benefits we can get in terms of cultural understanding and diversity, but it also helps to de-risk the relationship by not having all our eggs in one basket, if you like, in one part of the relationship. So these human connections are important. These young people who've been educated in here could be worked with to develop some new insights into the relationship in the future. Business leaders say New Zealand-educated Chinese staff are increasingly essential to success in China. But finding the right people is not always easy, and they want all the help they can get to stay in touch with New Zealand's growing pool of Chinese graduates. A lot here is being left to chance. There's an expectation that some of New Zealand's Chinese students will eventually rise to positions of influence in business and government as a matter of course. But New Zealand's pool of former students is small compared to other English-speaking nations. A small country needs to leverage every advantage it can find, and a little more coordination and organisation could go a long way. That programme was written and presented by John Gerritsen. He travelled to China with funding from the Asia New Zealand Foundation. If you'd like to podcast some more long-form journalism, you can head to our page on the RNZ website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Next week, could new plant and lab-based products spell the end for dairy? I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us, and join us again next time.